This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and I'm joined on the other line, as always, by Johnny Rath. How are we, Johnny? Not too bad, Dan. Uh, yeah, interesting rounds so far. Um, not quite as many games, and yeah, uh, it, some that seemed like they weren't going to be great games have turned into great ones. Yeah, it did seem like we had to wait a little while for some of the games that are scheduled quite late in the day. Mm. But yeah, there were some surprisingly good games. Not least of all, uh, you know, Hawthorne playing really well against the Swans and getting the win there. Yeah, didn't see that coming. So I guess it was built on the back of them, you know, getting a lot of pressure going and I heard that they got the boxing gloves out during the week, so <laughs> must have made a difference. It seemed like a story out of the out of the 90s, didn't it? With uh, these initiation type of tactics with getting in the boxing ring and... Who's the toughest? Who wants it more? Kind of thing. <laughs> get I guess it's a long season, isn't it? You need things here and there to uh, get you up for the game. You definitely need to be creative, I think, as a coach, and uh, yeah, try new things that are going to get the guys in the list competitive. Yeah. And I think, for whatever reason, Hawthorne do seem to match up pretty well against Sydney. So uh, yeah, I guess yeah. it wasn't really that much of a surprise, even though Hawthorne had won only two games for the year. Good record at that grand year. So what caught your eye from the round? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I can't go past last night's game. Uh, well, the uh, Secura and Adelaide game up in Cairns. Uh, just a, well, <laughs> where do you start? So Secura's up by 30 points at halftime. And Adelaide, I think, got their first score halfway through the second quarter. Yeah, I was going to and... say it took them a long time to score. Yes, and then uh, in the second half, they go on to kick about seven goals to one and, and win the game. I mean, and it was just such a, it was, I mean, it was exciting, but it was such a hard last quarter to watch. Uh, it was a bit crazy, then. wasn't it? It was a little bit Very, of rain in that last yeah, quarter. And a, and a lot of humidity as well up there. But uh, yeah, just uh, to me, it felt like Adelaide, well, it felt like St Kilda had been given a head start and then Adelaide were told, okay, so you've got to, you got to mow this lead down and you're playing against witches' hats. That's what it seemed like, <laughs> yeah. Because there wasn't any chasing or any uh, any hard running. Or I think St Kilda got four inside 50s to Adelaide's 19 or 20 in that last quarter. So, yeah, there wasn't much of a fight put up but from not, not from what it looked like anyway. Yeah, pretty disheartening for St Kilda supporters after being so far up in that game. And, yeah, and Adelaide playing with a bit of a handicap but doing enough in that second half to run over the top. That's it, yeah. And we've also had our first draw of 2021. So that was uh, just in the last couple of minutes, GWS finishing really strong to uh, close that game at 94 points apiece. So that was down in Hobart, which is actually a really big home ground advantage for North Melbourne still. I think Mm. they play really well down there. And it was a pretty free-scoring game in general, but it was actually the Giants kicking six in the last quarter to, yeah, almost pinch it, but... Not quite. They get Not two quite. points. Um, you got to have at least one draw in a footy season, don't you? Yeah, usually there is at least one. Sometimes there can be like three or four. I remember, can't remember how many years ago it was, but there were there was draw after draw at the MCG. I think it got to one stage where there'd been like four draws in about ten games or something like that at the MCG. Yeah, I think yeah. that was around maybe two thousand and ten, some eleven around there with the grand final draw. There was a whole bunch of draws altogether. Yeah. Yeah, that no, makes sense. I think it was 2010. 
So it can happen, but yeah, it doesn't happen all that often. So for game of the round this time, we're heading into Adelaide. So it was Port Adelaide hosting Geelong in a Thursday night clash. So there's a few restrictions around this, similar to what Collingwood had to deal with the week before uh, because of the COVID outbreak in Melbourne. Uh, there's very severe restrictions. I think Adelaide, uh, Geelong couldn't even go to a hotel, so they're basically having to wait uh, at the ground until they could actually play the, ga- the game or something along those lines. Jeez. So it was always going to be an uphill battle for them. But uh, top four clash, plenty on the line. So let's uh, jump into it and see what went on. So it was a relatively even start to the game, but it was actually two goals in a row to a straight-kicking Hawkins that opened up a nice break for Geelong. But just when it was looking pretty good for Geelong, the momentum actually swung violently back the other way towards the power as they piled on four goals in quick time. And these four goals included three to Connor Rosie who was lighting it up in the first quarter with four goals, all to his name. He's absolutely the definition of a natural footballer, I reckon. What do you, what do you think of Rosie's work, Johnny? Yeah, absolutely natural talent. Uh, just really had the, the smarts and the awareness of where the goals were. and Yeah, he was just in for a huge night. and Yeah, it's, it's just a real joy to watch. He doesn't need too many opportunities. And he's really good at spotting up teammates as well. But, uh, yeah, if he does get a look around goals, he's very dangerous. Absolutely. And uh, I noticed Kane Corns uh, had a bit of a joke in his uh, on his Twitter saying, um, uh, has Sam Walsh ever kicked four and a quarter? <laughs> and then <laughs> quickly followed up with just kidding. But, uh, yeah, that was a very good first quarter for the Rosie. So Geelong were able to steady towards the end of this quarter. I think it was about a minute and a half on the clock, and they managed to transitioned it all the way down the ground with some methodical ball movement. And there was a short kick to Duncan, who was just outside 50, who chose to play on quickly, taking a couple of steps towards the middle and basically lacing the kick, uh, just getting over the line. But yeah, it was a pure kick. And that actually meant that Port's lead was cut to four points at quarter time. How did you see the first quarter here, Johnny? Yeah, the momentum was really just swinging like a pendulum. It was end-to-end stuff. The game just had a lot of fire. You knew it was going to be a one you'd have to watch for four quarters. It really sort of had the, the makings of a classic. So to go into the second quarter, it was actually Port Adelaide who got the better of the early exchanges. And it was goals to Dixon and Kane Farrell. So this... Goal to Farrell is worth going a bit deeper into. So he had it on the boundary on the right-hand side, about 30 out, and he's a left-footer. And he basically tried to do sort of like a half-check side kick. So by doing that, the ball was kind of swinging away from the goal. So it had really no right to actually go in, but somehow he managed to get it through. It was a pretty crazy kick, this one. Oh, it was a magnificent kick. Um, Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking, but was, yeah, classic and another goal from Georgiades, who drained it from 50, saw Port build a 21-point lead, so they'd uh, extended the margin again. But similar to the first quarter, Geelong were able to steady. So they were able to start controlling the ball a little bit more through the midfield and using their sort of controlled kicking game, but also taking the game on a little bit when it did open up for them. They were able to kick it to their forwards' advantage, 
and this saw plenty of inside 50 marks, including to Hawkins, Henderson and Parfit, part of four goals in a row to Geelong. So I guess, yeah, it was really clear here that Geelong were able to, you know, spot up a lot of kicks and uh, that was giving them the advantage when they could get enough of the ball. So what sort of stood out to you in that first half there, Johnny? Just the pace of the game, really. It was just that uh, both teams were really trying to own the corridor and really go for those high-risk but uh, you know, high-reward kicks through the middle. Uh, sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't, but both teams were really willing to take the risks. Uh, it was exciting. There were some really good, um, really good tackles, really good tackling pressure from both sides. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought... Geelong just looked at maybe a, a tiny bit cleaner, I thought. Um, yeah, but they did have a lot more inside 50 marks, which yeah. I guess is a hallmark of their play when they're on top of things. A bit more direct uh, and just a bit more clinical. Um, but yeah, but it was still a game. Yeah, absolutely. So just that three-point lead at halftime to the Cats, so still anyone's game. Let's jump into the third quarter. So it was actually a little bit of a stalemate early in the third with both defences getting on top. So without being able to get back to the centre after a goal, it was hard to break that deadlock. But it was actually Geelong getting the ball off half-back and uh, they managed to bring the ball through the middle and it was actually a running Dangerfield who accepted it full stretch and he managed to get the ball in nice and quick to Rowan who was able to control the ball before snapping in characteristic fashion from 30 out. And uh, yeah, it was... Good to see a nice open bit of play after it had been quite dour there. Mm. And with only a minute and a half left on the clock, it was actually Geelong kicking out from defence. And strangely, they tried to go as long and as straight as possible. And it was almost an immediate turnover. And as the ball went deep back into the Powers 50, Dixon was able to take a contested mark and goal. Although this was actually cancelled out straight away by the centre bounce goal to Geelong as well. So it was actually a three-quarter time lead to the Cats of 10 points here. So they were able to grind it out in that third quarter. Yeah, they took a slight advantage into that fourth quarter. And I think, yeah, most people would have thought they'd be good enough to go on with the job, but uh, there were a few more twists. Yeah, I was I was very confident that they were going to win from this position, but I guess less confident after what happens early in the last quarter. so it was actually charlie dixon coming to life early in this last quarter taking some big one-on-one marks and he was able to get the first two goals to actually give port a two-point lead and from the very next center bounce after that second goal point port went forward again and it was rosie who was able to find it inside 50 and made no mistake slotting his fifth goal for the match So that gave Port roughly a 10-point lead, and it was starting to look like, uh, you know, there was still plenty of time, but it was starting to look like Port were really on top. But credit to the Cats, they really did keep their composure here. And from an inside 50 stoppage, from what looked like a set play, Hawkins double-handed palmed it down to, to Cameron, who was actually able to snap it on the left very quickly. And from 40, he managed to slide it through. It's kind of extraordinary what happened in the early stages of this last quarter because um, I think the Cats had only touched the ball four times 
when Port had kicked those first, uh, it, was a, it was three goals, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. A- and then it only took another few touches for them to kick to kick two themselves. So it was... It all happened extremely quickly, didn't very it? Very yeah. quickly, yeah. So after Geelong was able to win another important contest on the wing, there was actually heaps of space inside 50, and it was actually Isaac Smith who was the hard runner who accepted before snapping and that classy finish gave the Cats a three-point lead. So although they get to that 10-point deficit, they were able to erase it in very quick time. And from the very next centre bounce as well, a handball chain actually ended with another Jeremy Cameron goal, this time a snap as well, and in the blink of an eye, they had a 10-point lead. And from there, when the game seemed to be still up for grabs, it was really all Geelong as they stamped their authority with goals to Rowan and Hawkins as uh, the dominance of the three tall targets, Hawkins, Cameron and Rowan, really told late in this game as they were able to run out 21-point winners, kicking six of the last seven goals. It's a very impressive last quarter there from Geelong. Very, very impressive. Uh, yeah, they fully deserved it in the end. Uh, but just very, very clinical in that last quarter. And uh, Port just ran out of legs. Uh, it was actually the first time I think I've ever seen Aaliyah Aaliyah just absolutely knackered. Um, he'd been run off his feet by Jeremy Cameron. And, uh, yeah, it was making some uncharacteristic mistakes because of fatigue, I think. And, yeah, yeah, it was a very impressive performance. So we've got a couple of uh, true or false statements to work our way through here just to try and work out, you know, what this game means in the grand scheme of things. It was a very entertaining game but uh you know Geelong got the win so does Geelong have the most dangerous forward line in the AFL so I guess for a true or false statement that would be Geelong has the most dangerous forward line in the AFL true or false Johnny yeah look I think this is definitely true uh yeah those three guys uh, they all bring something additional to their main strength so you know you've got Cameron as a key forward who can you know, he can run a bit and he can he's very mobile. You've got Hawkins who to, appears to just be a stay-at-home forward, but he's quite good with his field kicking. And then you've got uh, Gary Rowan who's <laughs> he's not actually that short. Um, I, I can't remember how tall he is, but you know he's he's not. A, wouldn't call him a small forward, but you know he's one of the fastest players in the league. So they're all individually very difficult matchups, even if you were just matching up one of them, but let alone three. To have three defenders that can be as versatile and match up on those guys, that's a real tough one. And the, in addition to all of that, something that I don't think Port were ready for, or Ken Hinckley wasn't ready for, I don't think they were prepared for Radicalia to go up there and, and contest in the air as well. So it all became a bit too much in the end. And Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a team playing Geelong soon and having to defend against that forward line. Yeah, so I guess they can really stretch their opposition that's the uh, advantage they have and Cameron's also very good on the ground and with those snaps mm. as we heard there so yeah very good very definitely good hard to control I guess one area of potential weakness or maybe just not as much of a strength is the small forwards so they've got uh Dalhouse and Close I think are the main guys that run through there great defensive uh, forwards I guess yeah I guess maybe just don't kick quite as many goals as uh, some other teams' small forwards, but, you Not know... a typical guess, goal sneak. Yeah, with all those tall forwards, perhaps they're less reliant on those small forwards, but 
yeah, I guess like picking ahead to finals, it's not that uncommon for the you know big forwards not to have a huge say in those games. So perhaps you know without that small forward that is going to chip in with you know potentially two or three goals, that could pose a little bit of a problem. You do like to have that that smaller goal sneak type. Um, I mean, Danger's probably going to play a lot more up there as well in the, as he comes back from injury. Maybe about 60% of the time down, um, down forward. But uh, yeah, no, that out-and-out goal sneak, it's very handy to have one and uh, yeah, just sort of create something out of nothing. But yeah, no, it's still probably the best forward line in the comp at the moment. Yeah, when they get going, Hawkins and Cameron in particular, very hard to control. And then Rowan's getting the third defender or maybe the fourth defender sometimes so he can get off the chain as well so yeah yeah once they're on top they can pile on the goals pretty quickly and then you've got someone like sean higgins who can chip in as well so yeah it's yeah they've it's got a tough one plenty of guys who can contribute in that area all right next one geelong are the real deal in 2021 true or false oh i think they are uh and yes yeah, i've been saying for a little bit that they were you know going to hit the gear at some point a bit like Richmond they sort of time their run usually and I think in the second half of the season we'll see these sides really put the foot on the accelerator a bit um they've got a reasonable draw on the way home so yeah I I'm would be shocked if Geelong didn't make the top four and you mentioned it last week actually the experience that they've got they've been there and they've done that uh that counts for a lot I, I think yeah, I think this is the real deal and they're definitely a genuine shot at the flag. So do you think they're a better side than they were in the last couple of years when they've been right up there? I think they are, purely just because of the talent that they have. Uh, they've got you know some guys who can... Just that little bit more ability. Uh, I think they would pose a bigger threat, yeah. Yeah, I guess in the past, if you did get on top of Hawkins, you could limit the Cats scoring without too much trouble. But, it seemed the case last year. Yeah, yeah. now that Cameron's there, probably a bit harder to actually do that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I guess time will tell whether they can take the extra step. And they made the grand final last year, so there's only one more step for them to take. But, uh, That's it. Yeah. I guess at least the Geelong supporters, they seem to have got over that uh, sort of finals hoodoo they had for a while. They really struggled to win finals through much of the 2010s. Yep. But, uh, yeah, they did do a little bit better in 2020 last yep. year, making it through all the way to the grand final. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure they'd, the supporters would be very step. optimistic about yeah. uh, what they could be doing this year. All right, let's turn to Port Adelaide now. Port Adelaide are incapable of beating a top eight side. Well, that probably should be top eight sides. True or false? Um... Well, I don't, I don't think they're incapable of beating a top eight side. Um, so I guess I'm going false, but they definitely have some problems against top eight sides. And it's it's a bit hard to, to pinpoint exactly what it is, but it's not hard to pinpoint the statistic that I think they've only beaten one team in the eight, and I think that was Richmond. And it was only yep. by a couple of points, so they easily could have lost that one as well. Um, Bulldogs, Geelong, uh, West Coast, uh, who else... Uh, Anyone, uh, Brisbane, Sydney, I think they uh, lost. Yeah, Brisbane. They were all and Sydney pretty, as well. I think yeah, uh, all fairly definitive losses, really. Um, 
no question who the better team was. So but what's I, holding them back then, do you think? Well, the, there are a couple of things that I've sort of come up with, but I'm, I'm not really sure if they're the main reasons. But I think that they do miss... Uh, they, they miss another key defender if they're... If, they do seem to get taken over sometimes with key forwards. And it's not that they don't have a good key defender. They've got some pretty good ones, I'd say. But, um, and a couple of young ones as well. But when there's um, the time, like Hawkins was starting to take over and it seemed like uh, they had to think they had McKenzie on him and mm, he was yeah. struggling. And it just seems like they're a little bit void of answers when that happens. Um the other thing is up forward, and it's a good forward line, but I feel like Charlie Dixon, is. it's all up to him to be the physical focal point, crash yeah. the packs and that. It, I feel like they could use, he could use a little bit of help there. If they, George Yardis, I really like George Yardis. He could be a great player, but he's a 19-year-old forward. Yeah, he's still right, he yeah. hasn't filled into his body yet, and he can't provide that physical presence game in, game out. I think they're missing just another, another pack crasher. Yeah, I guess even Dixon has had a bit of a down year compared to yeah. previous years. And uh, while they do have some dangerous options up there, it doesn't quite seem to all be clicking, at least against top eight sides. They haven't scored very heavily. We've talked in previous weeks about how perhaps their midfield isn't quite as deep as some of the other sides as well. So still plenty of questions for Port Adelaide. And uh, like they've still got quite a lot of wins, so can't yeah. be too critical, but... Yeah, I guess their supporters would be pretty ropeable continually losing these big games. Makes I find it as difficult. well, sorry, Dan, I find it as well, apart from Wines and Boke, it, there's, it seems like they go a long period of time without winning a clearance. They uh, they they can be a very good contested ball-winning team at times, and then they can just go long periods without without getting any clearances at all. And it's that inconsistency that you can mask it against lower teams, but against the good teams... It's really got to be consistent for four quarters, and yeah. that's why they attract the term the flat track bullies. Sometimes, I'm not saying they are, but yeah, that's something that just would have to improve for them to beat some quality teams. I guess that could partially explain some of these runs that Geelong got on in mm. this game. So yeah. there were quite a lot of set events, set of bounce goals in this game. So teams getting run ons, yes. uh, yeah, bit of it. So there's a few things for Port to work on there, and uh, as we said, Geelong ultra-impressive and primed for another top-four finish. All right, let's move on to our next topic. So kind of hinted at this last week. Uh, we looked at the top eight teams last week in terms of who would you rather be, and uh, this time we're going to turn our attention to the bottom eight, and I don't think there's been too much movement in the eight since we actually started doing this exercise, so that was kind of lucky. Yeah. So basically we've paired each of the bottom eight teams up and we're going to be asking who would you rather be in three years time so i guess we're projecting forward to 2024 so for the 2024 season and beyond i suppose who would you rather be out of these teams so let's kick it off with uh essendon or gws who would you rather be johnny essendon or gws uh, i think i would have to pick essendon because um, there's still a few questions for the long-term future of some of the GWS players. Uh, I mean, there's a few questions over Essendon ones as well, but I just feel like there's a little bit more upside to the Essendon list at the moment. And, um, 
yeah, I, I think there's there's a real making of a fi- at least a finals team for the next, well, say in, in maybe a year or two. GWS, I think they can compete for a little bit of time, but I think at some point they're going to have to take a backward step. So I, I would say Essendon for this one. Yeah, I guess the list build that Essendon's embarking on now, particularly how they've performed in the last sort of month or two, people have been very impressed by that. And it is, does actually look like quite a sustainable brand of football they're playing. And I know mm. they're probably still a while away from making the finals, probably yeah. not this year, maybe not even next year. But when they do get there, it does seem like what they're building towards actually might stand up in finals in a way that maybe some of their past. Uh, performances haven't where they were sort of more just all out attack and yeah. if that got taken away from them then it wasn't really going to work there's the more of a defensive side of the game they're still able to score relatively well but uh yeah I guess people are starting to think that that finals win drought any finals win might be actually broken so I think it goes back I don't know the exact uh year but it's definitely early 2000s 2004 I think it is yeah yeah, so that would probably be one of the longest uh, streaks in the AFL for teams who have been making finals, at least, for not winning them. Yeah. And yeah, GWS, as you hinted at there, there's still a bit uh, going on with some of their you know, better players in terms of uh, how long they're going to stick around. Is Josh Kelly going to be there? Mm. And you, you referenced them taking a step back, and I guess you could probably say they're almost in the process of doing that after making 2019 grand final and then not making the finals in 2020 and looks like they're not going to make the finals again and there are quite a few young guys coming into that team now so uh it does seem like that build that got them to all those prelim finals and eventually that grand final they probably run their race with that particular build and they've got to build it up again not to say that they can't do it but uh yeah, it's, it's just that uncertainty right now. Yeah, it's not going to be an overnight fix. No. All right. Let's uh, go to another set of teams. So I think we talked a little bit about these teams uh, when they played a few weeks ago. North Melbourne and Hawthorne. Who would you rather be for 2024? Yeah, well, this, this is a really good one, actually. Um, I think I would have to just give the edge to North Melbourne. Uh, and the reason why, I think that they've pretty much got the core of their midfield ready. Maybe they, they could get another one, but, you know, these guys, like, uh, like I think Zerha's been around for a while now, but um, a while being like three or four years, but, yeah, Davis Uniac, uh, Taron Thomas, if he sort of gets, you know, his his body right into a, you know, he bulks up a bit and becomes that sort of run out a whole game in the midfield, in the midfield kind of player. Um, there's a, there's a couple of players there that I know won't be in the next finals team or premiership team. I, I don't know how old Joe Simpkin is, but uh, he's he's still pretty young, isn't he? Yeah, I don't think he's he's in the like either twenty four to twenty six age bracket yes. somewhere in there. So he he's an important player for them. Um, and I think the coach, like we were just saying with Ben Rutten at Essendon has got a good vision. It might not be as obvious as Essendon's is right now in terms of bearing fruit, but I actually quite like the path they're taking. And, um, yeah, I think that's a work in progress. 
Hawthorne, I'm not totally sure what their what their build's going to look like. I'm not even sure what their coaching situation is going to look like at the moment. Um, but I was having a conversation with some with a Hawthorne fan today, actually, and um, he was sort of saying to me, "Oh, look, you know, I don't think we have to trade anyone. I'm happy to keep the list as is and just use our early draft picks." And I kind of feel like I don't know if that's going to be good enough. I think. They've got a little bit of an imbalance in the midfield right now with those sort of in and under types, you know, like Warple and Mitchell and that. It, it might be worth entertaining the idea of trading out one and getting a bit more bang for your buck. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what strategy, what strategy they choose to use in the offseason just because they've been so against, you know, using their first-round picks or even yeah. just actually admitting that they do need to hit the reset button fully. So it'll be a big... Thing for Hawthorne and Hawthorne supporters to actually see that if it does come about and if it's ever going to happen, I suppose it's now. So it will be interesting to see. There's some, look, there are some good up and coming players. I really like Jayath. Uh, they'll get Sicily back as well. Um, but there's a lot of holes in that list. And yeah, it's mainly the not knowing with uh, with Hawthorne. I feel like North, we know what they are, but there seems to be a long term plan. So I would rather be North. Yeah. I guess the thing in Hawthorne's defence here is they've just been, you know, a strong team for so long now, almost 20 years really. And if you go back further, they've been a strong team in other periods as well. But I guess their supporters would have a certain level of confidence that, you know, even if they don't have the absolute best players, then they will be able to be competitive and, you know, get back up there. But I get yeah. it. I don't know whether that's really the right mentality to have though because if you're not fully you know resetting then maybe even if you do go back up you might fall a bit short which is kind of maybe what happened in the last five years where they thought they could almost cheat the system a little bit and Mm. go back up they're very incremental uh improvements and it's just that little it can be that five percent that's the difference between not being enough and and being being alright to challenge again. So, yeah, it's mainly just the what we don't know factor about Hawthorne for me at the moment. It's not that they're anything, uh, that they're miles behind North or anything, but yeah. Yeah, so I guess you're right. We know a bit more about North. They're probably a year ahead at least in terms of, you know, getting more young players in, probably more than that really, if that is the path that Hawthorne want to take. So I guess you probably just got to give the edge to North on that scale. But in terms of, you know, successful clubs and who do you trust more i'd probably trust hawthorne more <laughs> in the long That's run fair. but uh yeah. yeah i guess just not knowing their strategy does make it hard to sort of put your flag on hawthorne even against north That's yeah yeah uh here's an interesting one adelaide or collingwood two very different situations currently who would you rather be in 2024 uh. Oh, this is probably the hardest one yet. Um, oh. See, I, I, I would love to know who the next coach of Collingwood's going to be. <laughs> um, but I guess the question is for right now, isn't it? What would we pick right now? Yeah, yeah, based um, on what we know. So, look, I, I'd have to pick Adelaide. I, I think that there's, there is some really good young talent there. They've got those pieces that you need, I think, early. Um, 
And some of the guys that have been there about three or four years are really starting to, to hit their straps a bit. The guys like Fogarty, Keys. Um, yeah. And then I think Riley Thilthorpe, if he proved last night that he is going to be something pretty special. Uh, not any player could do what he did last night, I, I don't think. I mean, I know there was a good shepherd from Fogarty to get that ball through, but I don't think a lot of players would have even attempted that. So he's a different, you know, he's a different factor, I guess, to the others. Um, and as we saw, we've talked about the Amazon Prime series um, and how impressed we were with what, you know, Matty Nix's philosophy was. I think they're in good hands. So, yeah, I would have to pick Adelaide. Yeah, I guess, again, it's sort of the known versus the unknown here, isn't it? We know a lot more about Adelaide than what Collingwood's going to look like in this period. Adelaide's already had a good two years of getting in that young talent and starting to develop it. And while they didn't win too many last year and they're still struggling to you know put it all together this year, you can definitely see the nucleus of what they're trying to do. And as you're alluding to there, they do actually have some really good young kids and it does seem like you know the build is sustainable and uh, yeah I guess there's a fair bit to like from an Adelaide point of view I guess they're not used to being down the bottom of the ladder for too long either much like Collingwood. The other thing with Collingwood is that it's pro if we're talking 2024 um, they'd probably have to do you know the draft and things like that I mean but if they wanted it to be any quicker, they'd obviously have to, you know, make some trades. But um, who on this Collingwood list would you say is decent trade bait? I mean, you wouldn't look at the guys like Callum Brown, Josh Dacos, and um, and uh, I guess just those two for now. But like, because they're they're going to be your future, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, the other brand as well, maybe. Um, and you probably wouldn't look at the other end either, like. You can't trade guys like Jeremy Howe or uh, Hoskin Elliott, mate. Oh, you know, might get. I think honestly, the only bit of trade bait there that might actually get them something in return that could either get them some more draft picks or some better draft picks to get the best young talent or another proven player would be Jordan Degoe. Uh So that's a big question mark. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Tagoe, I guess, is an option. Is you know, they're spark inside 50 a lot of the time, even if he is a little bit maligned. But, uh, yep. yeah, I guess it would be a pretty hard call to get rid of to go after oh, putting yeah. so much time yeah. into him and not sure how much they'd get back for him either. And I guess even someone like Grundy, I know he's on an extremely long contract, so it'd be hard to trade him, but yeah. his trade value has probably gone down in the last few years as well. So if I've you heard... are trading out some of these guys, not sure how much you're going to get back, I suppose. I've heard talks about Maynard possibly being shopped around, and I just don't think Maynard's the kind of player that you would want to do that with. That's you know one of your heart and soul players, yeah, really yeah. the barometer really of your of your team, kind of. So it's a real hard one with Collingwood. I think there may not be any other option other than going the conventional way and just getting some good young, yeah, get some good youth in. Yeah, I guess it is interesting how aggressive teams want to be with you know banking a lot of picks in a single year and you got to make some really tough calls so there's only you know a handful of players from a lot of teams that are going to attract those first round picks so one more thing about Collingwood actually is 
they are very well like they're renowned for bouncing back on the back of kids on the back of their kids that whenever you think they are going to go through this rebuild process they've always shot back up with some of the younger players that they get into the club yeah and um, they already yeah. do have quite a few younger players in there yeah. so maybe so wouldn't rule them out. Wouldn't maybe it wouldn't won't take it quite as long as some people might think maybe not you never know all right next we've got st kilda or gold ghost who would you rather be uh geez i could probably put this down to one factor they've got the better king. <laughs> no, I, <didn't. laughs> I don't. I don't mean that. But um, I, I think at this point he, he's probably ahead. But um, the thing that really worries me about St Kilda is, do they really have that many injuries at the moment? Like, I feel like the list we're seeing, apart from Geary maybe being it, and unless I'm seriously forgetting someone, I feel like this is, this is the list. Whereas Gold Coast, we really haven't seen their best representation at all this year. Um, yeah, St Kilda did have a lot of injuries early, but I think they've got on, most of on, their yeah. players back. Marshall's still out, who's Marshall's really important out, yeah. for them. But, you know, you can't be a one-man team, so you've got to be able to cover these guys in some way. Um, that, look, that, no, they have had a lot of injuries before this round, I guess, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just... I just get this feeling with St Kilda right now that it's it's yeah this it's probably not going to be better like they're going to give you this nice level of performance might even sneak into the eight every now and then like they did last year but um, yeah I mean I I can't think of any players other than Jack Steele recently that have gone to St Kilda and become better players um, and that's also a problem so. So maybe you're giving the edge to Gold Coast. Yeah. I have to just give the edge to the Gold Coast, and it's not by much, but um, that's a surprise. I just feel like, yeah. Based on like you know Gold Coast history and I know how it's, many it's... false dawns they've had, and just the fact that you know they're Gold Coast. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and it sounds stupid just hearing myself say it right now, but I just feel like at some point you have to get it right. So yeah, look, three years. Well, if oh, they could keep yeah. Raoul in the park for a bit longer, that would help. Yeah. And, like, you know, they've always had a lot of top-end talent, but I feel like the top draft picks in the last sort of two or three drafts are probably the best they've had for, like, you know, the last five years at least. So surely that will give them a bit of a leg up eventually. Who would you pick? Um, I think I find it hard to pick Gold Coast over anyone at the moment it's just because fair enough. It's fair enough. <laughs> just because of who they are. I know like the analytical side of things, St Gilda aren't looking great. But yeah, I think I just I just don't quite trust Gold Coast as yeah. like a you know, bona fide football team yet. And it's a bit of an indictment to say that because what they've been in the comp for more than ten yeah. years now and yeah. Yeah. like they've got all these good you know, kids, but are they going to be able to keep them? We've seen in the past that, that both their captains have left. Yeah. Stephen May, obviously, and, um, and Lynch. Tom Lynch as well. So, like, I think they, they've sort of stopped the bleeding there in terms of a lot of people wanting to leave, but I don't know. It's just one of those things with Gold Coast. It just has never seemed to click. They always seem to get a lot of injuries. They don't yeah. have a lot of supporters, obviously. I don't know. It's just one of those things. I don't think I'm going to believe in it until I actually see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, honestly, if I could pick a draw for this one, I probably would. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, look, I, yeah. I think Stewie Jew is the real deal. So he's been there a while, no doubt. He has, he has. I reckon maybe four years. Yeah, be interesting um, to see how keen they are to you know renew him. I think. Well, they they seem to like what he's doing. They might have already renewed him not that long ago, but I don't know well, how how long can you give him? Four wins they're sitting on this season. Um, I'm not sure what the what the pass mark was, but um, maybe if they have a good second half of the season, maybe that can help his cause. All right, so we kind of split there. I'll go for St Kilda, you go for Gold Coast. That's fair, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Last one, Carlton or Fremantle? Who are we backing in 2024 and beyond? jeez, oh, jeez. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Freo. Uh, I just think their system is going to definitely reap the benefits once they've you know, got enough talent in to um, to implement it. And, you know, be I'm a real fan of the the core that they're building there. Uh, you know, with the Chera, Sarong, uh, Brayshaw, all these guys. Uh, I think Mundy's been a really good influence and I'd love to see him play on another year because, uh, yeah, he's just playing good footy and he's you know, a really good role model. Um, 35, so could be a big ask and... What's going on with Fremantle, though? Like, everyone expected them to be better this year, but they just seem to be a really middling side. I think they've got the worst accuracy in the AFL. They've definitely got the worst accuracy. Um, Look, I think they are maybe... They might be about a win or two short from where I expected them to be, but uh, I still think that they're generally on the right track. They had a few out in that game against Gold Coast uh, and still managed to to get it done. Um, But, yeah, look... I, I, I'm a big fan, I think, of Justin Longmuir and, and what he's doing. So I reckon in three years' time, that, that I'd, Give it be, time. Yeah. I'd, I'd have faith, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you're looking from a game style point of view, although well, I think Fremantle does have a few more wins than Carlton this season as well, but I think you're right. Fremantle has that better game style at the moment. The players have bought into what Longmuir is selling, and they definitely have that defensive part to their game. Whereas just, Carlton, sorry. we've sort of said, you know, hasn't quite got there in that facet. And I just feel that, um, I th- and it's it's harsh to say this, but I feel like a lot of these Carlton youngsters have learnt a lot of bad habits. Mm, and yeah. it's not saying you can't fix it. You absolutely can fix it. But it's going to take, it'll take something special to get these guys to unlearn that stuff and learn a new philosophy uh, there's just a few too many red flags there at the moment with some of those youngsters and um, and what and they've get, been like, learning. To get like a proper game style that's going to be sustainable and take you, you know, to the top four and beyond, it does take a long time to actually embed that. Like we've seen with teams like, you know, Richmond, even Collingwood and Melbourne, they went through these periods where you know, the coach almost lost their job or, like, it just looked like it completely wasn't working and then it just sort of all clicked. And, you know, it, it's hard for supporters to actually recognise that, but it does take that sort of three- to five-year period to actually build up getting the players to, like, fully buy in and understand and uh, you just get everyone to cooperate together in that way that you need to play that yeah. complete style of football where you actually can sort of trust your teammates and everyone has that full understanding of what they have to do. Absolutely. To get that cohesion, to even, you know, to build the body individually takes about three three to five years maybe. 
And um, yeah, to implement the system, there's a lot of ups and downs. You're going to have positive results. You're going to have completely negative results where you've taken a step back and you're thinking, what the heck are we doing? But trust the process. It's a journey. It's a real journey. And I just feel like Frio are a bit better equipped to go on that journey right now than Carlton. You got to do a lot, right, to win the Premiership in the AFL. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they're hard to win. <laughs> just thinking about, you know, some of the really good teams in a particular year that haven't won it. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's just it's not an easy thing to do. And if you don't have your whole team fully bought in and understanding exactly what they need to do, then uh, you're going to struggle, basically. So it can take a long time to build that, as, as I mm, said, yeah. Definitely. All right, well, uh, thanks for indulging me on that discussion there, Johnny, and uh, <laughs> thanks for jumping on the line again and sharing yeah. your views. No problem. hope people got something out of it, even if it was just a very small thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, remember, you can get in contact with us. Uh, the email is footytimemail at gmail.com if you have any topics or questions you might want us to cover on the show. Thanks for listening, and uh, see you next time.